We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Church, let's just turn our attention to him. He is so good this morning. Jesus, we give you thanks for all that you've given us. You're so worthy of praise. And all honor and all glory belongs to you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So I know you've all been eyeing up my lovely sweater this morning. You're all jealous, right? It's pretty, it's coming back in style, isn't it? You guys are too kind. <laughs> Nostalgia. This actually is supposed to represent uh, an old shirt that I couldn't find, and that was probably not church appropriate because of the number of holes that it had in it. It was a holy, yes, it was my holy shirt. <laughs> and uh, this shirt that this is representing, uh, it's from a time where I was working at camp and it has just a lot of good memories with it. And, you know, it's one of those things that it's just comfortable, right? You put it on, you know, it has the right amount of breathing and air flow with the extra holes. You know, it, it maybe stinks a little bit. It's kind of gross. Nobody really wants to be around you when you're wearing it. Anybody have something like that, like slippers or like, there's something that, that, that is nostalgic for you. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a item of clothing, maybe it's a smell, maybe it's a food. That when you taste it, it just, it takes you back to a certain time in your life. Right? It, yeah. <laughs> to fit this shirt, yes, that's right. That's the motivation. Um, but it's, there's a... Uh, you know, a, a smell or a, or a food that when you taste it, it just takes you back to that certain time, right? And before you know it, you've regrown your mullet, you, uh, you're pulling out your, your old records to play, to listen while you, while you eat this food or smell this smell, and then, and then before you know it, you're digging through storage to find your disco ball and bell bottoms. See, we, we all have this tendency to go back, right? Where, where we've experienced something and it's just, oh, it just brings back a memory. And it, it kind of just draws you in deeper and deeper. And, and also, like I said, you're looking for something that you haven't cared about for years. And the, in the book of Hebrews, there's, there's uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to the Jewish people. And they're struggling with this idea of, do we go back to the old covenant? Do we go back to the law? Do we go back to circumcision? Uh, Mike Huntsberger, when he spoke a couple weeks ago, he shared this story. And if you were here, you remember it. And it was about a Cadillac. And this fellow who, who he received a brand new Cadillac. But then all of a sudden, he thought, oh, I kind of miss my old car.
See, there's something about nostalgia, about an old shirt, about old slippers, about an old car, that it just kind of takes us back. And to be honest, I've been sweating in this thing all morning. It's picky, it's itchy, it's really not that comfortable. So I'm going to ditch it here, but... But so often we can, we can get wrapped up in, in something like this that is, it's, it reminds us of a certain time. And so as, the, as we're going through Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is addressing the Jewish people and he's saying, look, don't go back to what you had just because it's comfortable. You know, I don't think most of them thought, well, we're going to go all the way back and just live by the law and forget about Jesus because Jesus had so impacted their lives. But usually that's not where it starts. It starts with something small. For them, it started with circumcision. Are we circumcised? Or are we not circumcised? Anybody in here thankful that that is not a requirement? <laughs> yes. And then, and then before you know it, then it's about, well, what are we eating? Are we eating the right things? Or, you know, do we need to go back to the dietary restrictions of the law? And then we start keeping the, the feasts and, and uh, Shabbat. And before we know it, we're so wrapped up in bondage that we don't even know what freedom looks like anymore. You see, for, for myself... Because our family is, is Jewish, because Liel is Jewish, that looks different for us. We, we do celebrate the feast, and because, not because it's a law, not because we have to keep it, because it's cultural. But so often we can get so caught up in, well, do we keep this old thing, and how does that balance with the new that Jesus brings? Before you tune me out this morning, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't even struggle with, you know, I don't think about going back to the old law. Of course we don't go back to that. I, don't, I love bacon. Right? I would never give up bacon. It's like my son did a picture the other day, and there were two things in his heart, bacon and something else. <laughs> but maybe it's an old attitude or an old mindset Maybe it's an old line of reasoning or thinking, an old feeling, an old addiction, old practices. Maybe it's, maybe it's an old style of religion. You know, Jesus sets us free and then after a while it's kind of this old, old uh, boyfriend and girlfriend mindset where it's like, well, you know, you, you have a boyfriend or girlfriend and then you dump them because, you know, they eat with their mouth open and... They're messy, and they don't shower very often. And then like a year later, you're like, oh, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe we should go back and get back together. And you forget all of the things that, that have happened since then. And I think we all have this tendency where it's easy for us to go back. 
Maybe not to to the old covenant, but back to a, a different line of reasoning, a different kind of thinking. Where Jesus has set us free from something, and we want to go back. We think, oh, maybe I'll just go back and just, just for old time's sake. And it grabs on to us and, and takes us deeper and deeper. So often we come to Jesus and we change our actions. We say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to try really hard not to do that anymore. So we come to him and we allow him to change, or sorry, we come to him and we're like, all right, I'm going to work to change the outside. I'm going to work to change my actions. But we don't allow Jesus to come and change our heart. We don't allow him to come and give us a different way of thinking. We still process, we still think, we still feel the same way we did before we met Jesus. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8, This morning we're covering Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 9 because they fit together. Hebrews chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Now this is the crowning point of what we are saying. We have a magnificent king-priest who ministers for us at the right hand of God. He is enthroned with honor next to the throne of the majesty on high. He serves in the holy sanctuary in the true heavenly tabernacle, set up by God and not by men. Since every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice, so the Messiah also had to bring some sacrifice. But since he didn't qualify to be an earthly priest, And there are already priests who offer sacrifices prescribed by the law. He offered in heaven a perfect sacrifice. The priests on earth serve in a temple that is but a copy, modeled after the heavenly sanctuary, a shadow of the reality. For when Moses began to construct the tabernacle, God warned him and said, you must precisely follow the pattern I revealed to you on Mount Sinai. But now Jesus, the Messiah, has accepted a priestly ministry which far surpasses theirs, since he is the catalyst of a better covenant, which contains far more wonderful promises. For if the first covenant covenant had been faultless, no one would have needed a second to replace it. But God revealed the defect and limitation of the first when he said to his people. I'm going to pause there. Hebrews 8, chapter 8, verse 4, it says he offered in heaven a perfect sacrifice. The incredible thing about that is that that means that there is nothing else required. If something is perfect, it's missing nothing, right? It's not that Jesus offered a sacrifice so that you can work really hard. It's not that Jesus offered a sacrifice so that you can keep dietary restrictions and laws. It's not that Jesus offered a sacrifice and now you need to go and sort out all your problems and mess. It's that Jesus' sacrifice was so perfect that it was able to give you a new heart. Do you realize that? That that when we come to Jesus, 
Those better promises are promises of a new heart. It's no longer that our actions are just regulated by commands. It's actually that we have a heart change, a new heart. Romans chapter 4, 4 and 5, it says this. It says, when people work, they earn wages. It can't be considered a free gift because they earned it. But no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works. But believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. And it is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. Wow. Here's the thing, church. When we choose to blend, when we choose to blend old thinking with the mind of Christ, when we try and and blend old promises with the promises of Jesus, when we blend, it leads us to the best of nothing. When we blend old and new, it leads us to the best of nothing. It actually says here in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the catalyst of a better covenant which contains far more wonderful promises. But when we blend, we end up missing out on something far better for something far less. When we don't recognize the supremacy and the centrality of Jesus, we are in danger of pushing him aside for something smaller. When Jesus says that, that or when, when the author says that Jesus is the catalyst for better promises, these are promises that, okay, here, we, we need to understand something. When Jesus said it's finished on the cross, he wasn't lying. Anybody in here believe that this morning? When Jesus, on the cross, he said it is finished. Everything that Jesus brings as our high priest was paid for on the cross so that he could be our high priest. And we have access to it at the point where we accept his invitation, at the point of what we call salvation. It's not that you step into a a small measure of what Jesus paid for, like, okay, well, I first become a Christian, I I have a little bit of forgiveness, but I I better be careful, right? And and then if I'm in, and I know Jesus for 10 years now, I have 10 years of forgiveness stored up. No, it's all at once. When you accept that invitation, it's not like, he's not like, okay, here's, you know, here's a little bit of forgiveness, here's a little bit of righteousness, let's see how you handle that. And then maybe we'll give you more. The entirety of it is paid for on the cross. And you have access to it from the moment that you put your faith in Jesus. It is faith, Romans 4. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
See, we've taken that to mean that, that once we know Jesus, we still have a corrupt heart. But in Hebrews chapter 8, this is what it says. Verse 10, talking of the new covenant. It says, For here is the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. I will embed my laws into their thoughts and fasten them onto their hearts. I will be their loyal God and they will be my loyal people. And the result of this that everyone will know me as Lord. The better promises are about Jesus giving us a new heart. That yes, before I couldn't trust my heart. And this isn't actually about trusting my heart or not. This is about trusting Jesus. Trusting that what he did at the cross put inside of me a new heart. A heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. That when the new covenant comes, it is his laws that are written on my heart and on my mind. That's God's, that's God's promise. That's his solution. So many times then I get the question, well, well does that mean that we can just go murder somebody? Right? If, if the old covenant is, is... Hang on, I'm going to read you a verse and then it'll make sense. <laughs> verse 13, this proves that by establishing this new covenant... The first is now obsolete, ready to expire, and about to disappear. So does that mean then that, that if, if the old covenant is dead, that I can just go murder somebody? Here's the problem, is that question is no longer relevant because I have a new heart. I am not regulated by the law controlling, my, my actions are not regulated by the law. I am regulated by his presence. That the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of me and changes my heart. Isn't that incredible? So why is the old covenant obsolete? Is it because the law was evil? No. It's because Jesus' perfect sacrifice was enough to transform your hearts, to transform our hearts. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. It was enough. There was nothing missing in it. Nothing. That's why the law was, is now considered obsolete. Because Jesus is enough. Hebrews 9, 9. Actually, I'm going to start at uh, verse 8. Now, the Holy Spirit uses the symbols of this pattern of worship to reveal that the perfect way of holiness had not, but yet, had not yet been revealed or had not yet been unveiled. For as long as the tabernacle stood, it was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment. 
demonstrating the offerings and animal sacrifices had failed to perfectly cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. For this old pattern of worship was a matter of external rules and rituals concerning food and drink and ceremonial washing, which was imposed upon us until the appointed time of heart restoration had arrived. It was to point to the current time of fulfillment that the Holy Spirit would come and live inside of us and change our hearts. He wouldn't just change our actions, He would change our desires of what we want and what we don't want. He would change our way of thinking. He would change our attitudes and our feelings. Church, we need to understand that we are, when you come to Jesus, when you accept his invitation and he transfers his righteousness into your account, you are a new creation. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. But here's the problem is I don't often, when I, when I feel like responding in a way that, that maybe I would have before, when I have thoughts that, that don't line up with Jesus' thoughts, instead of saying no, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I am a new creation. I start to second guess. I think, well, maybe, maybe I'm not a new creation. Maybe that's not true. Maybe, maybe I still need to do something to be a new creation. Instead of recognizing that Jesus already made a perfect sacrifice. Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead end efforts to make ourselves respectable. This is Hebrews 9.15. So that we can live all out for God. It's from the message translation. Church, when we understand this incredible truth that not only did Jesus die to wash away our sins, our mistakes, to make us presentable before God, but he actually made us into a new creation with a new heart, when we start to actually recognize that that is what he paid for. How could we want to go back to the old? How could I want to live half-hearted just regulating actions when, when he has actually paid the price to give me a new heart? So what's the problem? If we're a new creation, why do we have, why do we 
sometimes say one thing and do another? Why do we struggle with some of the same mindsets from before we knew Jesus or before we, we had a revelation of, of him making us a new creation? Why is it that even maybe we struggle with some of the same temptations? Is this verse only meant to apply of being a new creation? Does, does the new covenant only start when we die and go to heaven? Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Maybe that we struggle with those things. Maybe we deal with those same temptations or we feel like nothing has changed because we need to allow ourselves, our, we need to allow Jesus to renew our minds so that we can be transformed. What I, what I find fascinating is that our way of thinking before we know Christ is what got us into this mess. Why would we believe that the same line of thinking would get us out of the mess? We need a change in our heart. We need our thinking renewed. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 10. See, so often what I know what I, what I can tend to do is I'm like, all right, I got this. I, I understand. I need to have my, my thoughts renewed, my mind transformed. And then something happens or somebody pushes a button or you know, I, I, maybe I think, oh, I'm, I'm super patient right now. You know, I, I, I should just, I, I'm, I'm good. You know, my kids can't push my buttons. I'm super patient. And then they all decide to scream in different, or sing in different keys all at once. Different songs. This close to my head. And all of a sudden, my patience level goes, and I think, well, then I guess I'm not, a, I, I'm not a new creation. Because I still struggle with that, that way of responding. Second Corinthians 10, 2-6. It says, Now I plead with you that when I come, don't force me to take a hard line with you, which I'm willing to do by daring to confront those who mistakenly believe that we are living by the standard of the world, not by the Spirit's wisdom and power. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aim. 
Instead, our spiritual weapon are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the Anointed One. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. Church, what if the Christian life is not about fighting against your temptations, fighting against your old self, which Jesus says is already dead, by the way? What if it is about a constant allow, taking thoughts captive? When a thought comes into my mind, when a thought comes in that says, oh, you're not good enough. Instead of saying, oh, maybe that's true. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I am just a failure. Maybe nobody does love me. Instead of taking those and saying, well, that must be who I am, we take that thought, we take it captive under the authority of Christ. We submit it to Jesus. And I take that thought, whatever that thing is, let me use this as an example. I take that thought, and as it's swirling around, I grab it and I put it at the feet of Jesus. And I say, Jesus, what do you say about this part of me? What if growing in spiritual maturity isn't about just fighting against temptation or fighting against old thought patterns, but what if it is about taking, when the enemy tries to throw that at you, taking it captive, putting it before Jesus and saying, Jesus, what do you say about this? When the thought comes, I'm not good enough, we take it before Jesus. We say, Jesus, what do you say about this? He says, I see you with the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That's what it looks like. Take every thought captive, like prisoners of war, every thought, and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. When we have a thought that says, I don't think Jesus is going to heal me. I don't think Jesus is going to provide for me in this situation. We take that captive, we submit it to the authority of Jesus, and we say, Jesus, what do you say about that? When an old feeling or addiction or thought pattern comes up. When I would normally respond in anger, I say, Jesus, what do you say about that? He says, I made you a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Come on, somebody to give Jesus praise this morning. We need to start making it a habit of taking every thought captive. Instead of allowing every thought to push us this way and that way and draw us away from Jesus, those are the old things. That's my old self. That's dead and buried. Jesus, what do you say? When I struggle with doubt about what God has said, about who he says I am, when I have reasoning that doesn't align with what Jesus says or attitudes that don't align with who Jesus is, I take those captive. I grab hold of them and I throw them at the feet of Jesus. 
I insist that they must come into alignment. What if maturity actually looks like taking those thoughts and the more that we build a habit out of taking those thoughts captive, the more like Jesus we become. Where it's no longer about action regulation, but it's about how am I submitting to Jesus and what he says. It is finished at the cross. Your new life starts at the point where you accept the free gift of Jesus' righteousness. And it can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works. This is Romans 4, 5. But believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. Following Jesus is a lifetime of saturating ourselves in his word, what he says about us. And taking any other thought captive and submitting it to what he says. Church, if you're struggling with something from the old, it is actually that simple. I'm not saying it's easy. Right? There's times where those thoughts and those feelings come and we're like, I just, it feels like it's so much me. Sometimes that's because we built a habit in that. But just sometimes it's just the enemy putting extra pressure on. But if we will start taking those thoughts captive and submitting it to what he says, we'll see victory in those areas. Blending leads you to the best of nothing. We can take hold of what he's already paid for or we can go back to what we had. But we can't do both. We have something so much greater to us, available to us. Let's take hold of what Jesus has done. He's already done the work to declare you righteous, to draw you into his presence. Let's not choose to go back because it feels comfortable. Let's take that, that old sweater that's itchy and stinky and let's chuck it. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> Don't settle for action regulation when you could live out having a new heart. You are a new creation. I want you to say that this morning. I am a new creation. And that starts from the moment you invite Jesus to take over your life. From then on, it's about learning how to align your thoughts with his. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you've called us a new creation. We thank you that you've paid the price. You've done the work. And you've invited us into something so much greater. Jesus, we don't want to blend what we had before with who you are. 
So I ask this week that you would captivate us, that you would reveal to us how incredible and how glorious it is to walk in relationship with you. I ask this morning that you would help us to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to take captive every thought. That when we have a thought that's not from you, and that alarm goes off, we wouldn't be afraid, we wasn't, wouldn't hesitate to submit that to your authority, Jesus, to what you say. In Jesus' name. And actually, one more thing, I, I pray that we would hear, that we would saturate ourselves in your word, we would hear what you have to say about us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.